Hello and welcome. You're listening to the You Do Root podcast, and I'm your host, Allison Cullen. I'm a mom with a background in business and counseling, but I've always been tapped into the more woo-woo side of everyday life. I'm here to take you on an exploration of your spirituality, give you helpful life hacks, help you on this evolution through motherhood, and give you a weekly dose of useful woo. If you need your cup filled, your mind expanded, and you want to increase your manifestation abilities at the same time, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. Hello, beautiful listeners. I'm so excited to have you back for another episode. Whew, July has been a doozy. I've heard from so many of y'all about how your Venus retrograde is going. By the way, if you're listening to this in real time in July or August of 2023, definitely go back and listen to last week's episode. We chat a little bit about Venus retrograde and the upgrades that are coming and healing that's going on right now and all the things. It was really good. And before I introduce you to today's podcast guest, who you're going to love, you might already know who she is, but I have a quick announcement. If you're listening to this in real time, Monday, July 31st, 2023, you can still join us for our live prosperity process workshop. It's going to be this afternoon. The link is below to register. If you do join us live, I'm going to be doing something special on there for everybody who's able to make it live. But if not, you can access the recording inside Kajabi. And if you're listening to this in August 2023 or after, you can click the same link and go back and watch the recording. It's going to be life-changing for you. I'm going to talk first a little bit about money and some of the ways that it could be changing in the next few years, which will be important to know as far as where you're putting your money, what you're spending your money on, all that kind of stuff, investing money. And then Stephanie Joseph, who is our in-house Gene Keys expert, is going to be walking you through what your prosperity line is in the Gene Keys. There are six of them. So if you want to prepare for this, go to genekeys.com and put in your information and you can bring up your chart. There's going to be a picture with like red circles, green circles, blue circles. Just have that handy because she's going to walk you through how to read your chart and then specifically taking a look at your pearl line, which is your prosperity line, how you call in money, how you interact with money how you can apply this to your life or your business to be bringing in more money. It's been really life-changing for me. I have half of the money line in the human design chart, but this is very different. Everybody has a certain way that they relate to money. And I really think that you're going to be just, your mind is going to be blown when you start to learn about this and which one, which pearl line you have and how you can make a few tweaks to really open up that flow of money coming in. Okay, so today's podcast episode guest is Miss Carolina, the best-selling author of Euphoric. Dude, I heard about this her book and heard her for the first time on Jenna Kutcher's Gold Digger podcast. 
And I didn't even know this, but Jenna had quit drinking. She didn't have like a timeline about it or like that she's never going to drink again or whatever. She was just like, I realized that it wasn't making me feel great. And I took a little bit of time off and I felt literally euphoric, aka the name of the book. And I guess she heard about this book while she was taking her alcohol break. I think she's still not drinking. And it has just transformed her business, which her business was already amazing. But I have, since reading this book and over the past few months, I have connected with so many entrepreneurs who have literally 10x'd their businesses just by taking a break from drinking or becoming sober curious or just cutting out alcohol altogether. Don't be afraid to listen to this episode. There's no shame or judgment, but we do get into some really interesting psychological reasons that we drink alcohol. And it's pretty mind-blowing. So I've done several episodes about alcohol and my relationship with alcohol in the past, especially when I was on my year-long break. And it's really interesting too, if you have never taken a really extended break, not being pregnant, because it's very different not drinking pregnant versus not drinking for just yourself. Your hormones are a little bit different and you have a lot more clarity if you take a break, not just when you're pregnant, you know. But the up-leveling that happened that year of 2021 was astounding. And when I started drinking again, I drink way less than I ever did, but drinking affects me differently now. Sometimes when I do drink, I literally feel nothing, like no buzz, which isn't fun. Like that's the point of drinking, right? To like feel a buzz. For me, it is. I I love that feeling. I love a dopamine hit. (laughs) And then sometimes I'll drink and just it's way too much. I'm not even drinking that much and it's just affecting me a ton. So I don't know if it is a metabolism thing or a hormone thing or just a getting older thing. I'm not able to know exactly how my body is going to react that day to alcohol. So 2022, I mean, I drink a lot less often than I ever had before and way less in 2023. I think that moving to a place where there was less stress and less people and more nature made me not Like I don't ever want to drink to de-stress. I don't have the desire to drink to de-stress. The only times I ever want to drink is actually for like having a margarita with a Mexican food dinner or for fun. But I probably have drank seven times this year since we've moved. And every time, even just like 20 minutes in, which is usually when it starts to feel good, I'm like, eh, this like, it's not great, you know? Like that was the most good I'm going to feel. And then after that, you're sort of just really numbing your, your body and your brain. And so a lot of times I'll stop after just one. And I used to regret it the next day if I felt a little off or didn't sleep well. But now I regret it like 20 minutes, in, which shows me that I'm growing. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you. If you don't drink, send me a DM. Would love to sort of just chat with you and hear your story. If you're sober curious, I would love to hear from you. If you're somebody who would like to drink less or have less desire to drink, holler at me. 
I want to chat more about this because I do think I'm currently not drinking. I'm going to take the whole month of August off. I decided a couple weeks ago that I was just going to take the next six weeks through Labor Day off and then reevaluate. Y'all know me. I'm big on like freedom and no rules. But my goal with this is to basically be able to drink whenever I want to and never want to, if that makes sense. That's how how I want my alcohol-free journey to be, is to lose the desire for alcohol. Sometimes that takes takes a little bit of time. So that's where I'm at. Either way, listen to today's episode and get your hands on this book, Euphoric. It's so good. And one reason I love it, there's a lot of great alcohol-free books out there. I loved This Naked Mind. I loved We Are the Luckiest. There's a few others. If you if you need other recommendations, let me know. But this one, Euphoric, was a little bit different because she didn't like hit any type of rock bottom. Sometimes you hear stories where they like hit a big rock bottom and then they quit drinking. She didn't do that. She just took some time off. She did like a dry January and felt so good that then she was like, oh, and then it took her a little while longer to just totally cut it out. But this is her story about that. There's also a lot of scientific research about the brain. That's another thing. You know, I'm very big on mental health and physical health. And it's like, okay, well, I'm drinking an, a legitimate poison. <laughs> and even if I take a toxin binder or charcoal, there's still poison going in my body. And this is just totally like there's some cognitive dissonance there. So cognitive dissonance is when you know something and then you do the opposite of it. And so like, I know I'm drinking poison and I still drink poison. And so that can waste a lot of energy in your brain and sort of screw up the, the mindset work that you are doing in, in any type of area of your life. Just having things where you're, you're believing one thing and your actions are another. So if, if you're big on physical health or mental health or hormonal health, yet you drink, then it's causing some cognitive dissonance. Same thing for me. So anyways, just a few things to think about. Enjoy this episode. Please share it far and wide. Please DM me with where you are on your drinking journey. There's no shame. I used to be the queen of beer pong, (laughs) even into my late 20s. So there's zero shame at all. But I do think it is something like being sober curious is something that comes with up leveling and spiritual growth and all that kind of stuff. So If it's not your time right now, it probably will be at some point in the next few years. So you'll want to bookmark this episode. And please join us for the prosperity process. Oh my gosh. That is like one huge thing too. Sometimes money and numbing can be love and money are related and numbing and love and money are related. So, you know, sometimes fixing your money problems can then lower your desire to drink, which is a cool thing. So join us today or grab it whenever you're listening and watch the recording. It's going to be really good. And I hope you all enjoy today's episode. Oh, you guys, you're in for a big treat today. I have the Carolina Jodkowska doing my best. You can just call her Carolina, the author of Euphoric. I have her on the You Do Woo podcast today. Welcome, Carolina. We're so excited to have you. Allison, I'm so happy to be here. I can't wait to talk to you. 
So this is pretty crazy. Um, a lot of y'all have heard about my journey with alcohol. I took a whole, well, I was pregnant and took time off and then went back to drinking here and there once I had my baby and then took a whole little bit over a year off in 2021 and have just sort of opened the floodgates of talking about this. And it's interesting because since then, I've always considered myself sober curious. But as I get older and as I learn more about listening to my intuition and my higher self, it's sort of like, hey, alcohol is probably not going to be a part of your life for much longer. And when I heard Carolina speak on Jenna Kutcher's podcast, the Gold Digger podcast, I immediately purchased her book. I was already doing a break from out, a small break from alcohol. And I was like, let me read this while, while I'm taking a break. And it was just so pleasant because I have read several of the AF genre, like the alcohol free genre books and all have been great, but most of them were written by authors who ended up hitting a really big rock bottom. And it was sort of this scary thing. And this like, oh my gosh, if you don't quit drinking, you're going to go through the same thing. And Carolina, your book was the only one I've read so far. I'm sure there's others, but the only read one I've read so far where your decision to quit drinking came from a place of, I just feel amazing when I don't. So thank you. And if you wanted to just take a few minutes to tell the very shortened version of your story, I am going to link your book in the show notes so everybody can just go ahead and purchase it because you're going to want to read the whole thing. But will you tell us just a little bit of your background and what took you to this path of writing this book? Yeah, absolutely. And basically, I think of this book as like a thousand reasons why it feels so good to take a break from alcohol. And it's just really positive in that way. Um, because I didn't expect that, obviously, you know, so I started drinking in college, like most people do, and probably over partied overdid it like crazy back then, but I didn't have very much consciousness or awareness, you know, and as I grew up, that's when I started to like really become more interested in health and mindfulness. So drinking was something that I kind of pushed into the weekend, basically. So Monday through Thursday, I lived quite a healthy lifestyle. I, you know, went to yoga classes. I meditated. I'd write my journal, drink green juices, but I drank every weekend, every single weekend. It was quite typical and normal. You know, it was like a sushi dinner with some friends, you know, like a wedding, a networking happy hour, wine at home with some Netflix, but it didn't matter what it was. Every weekend, alcohol was playing a role. And I ended up waking up every single Monday morning feeling like crap. I felt like a shell of myself. And I just felt so frustrated and just so let down because it was like I had taken all these healthy steps during the week, you know, like two steps forward. And I just went five steps backwards over the weekend. Now, this didn't happen once or twice. This was happening to me every single week for years, you know. And every single Monday, I was like, can we just not drink? Can we just not? Can we just take a break? You know, like my intuition was asking me. But I would look at my social calendar and there was the happy hour with friends or this event, you know, I was like, I can't not, you know, I literally just didn't even think I was allowed to show up somewhere and not drink. But when I first heard about dry January, that's kind of what changed the like gears in my mind of like, oh, I can just take a break. Like, I don't have to explain this to someone. I also really thought back then that if I like don't drink, that everyone's going to assume I have this massive problem. I don't be the first to say my relationship with alcohol was complicated, but it's not this stereotypical story, right? Of all these problem signals happening with whatsoever, you know, I was drinking pretty much just like most people were back then. And so like that really kept me stuck for a long time too. 
But dry January comes around and I'm like, okay, let's try this. And it's the first time I really allowed myself to experiment with life without alcohol. And I fell in love. I fell in love with how deep my sleep was, how peaceful my early mornings were, no guilt, no shame. I stuck to my healthy habits and I really started noticing my mood elevating. Like I was noticing just simple pleasures more like the sunshine and the trees and just, just beautiful things. And then February comes around and I still believe that a normal adult has to drink. So I drink a few times socially and now I have this contrast, you know, and I'm like, I hate it. I can't sleep after just a few drinks. I wake up feeling groggy. I don't feel good about myself. Like this sucks. Like none of this is this fun. I thought it was right. So I decided to take another break at that point. And basically I've been alcohol free ever since. And what happened was a complete physical, emotional, spiritual revolution in my life where everything just improved. And I started feeling better in so many areas. I redeveloped so much confidence and self-love within myself. I started listening to like, why was I drinking? Honestly, to be honest, I was bored and stressed out with my career and my life and alcohol on the weekend was the highlight. And so instead of letting that be the reality, I changed it. You know, I launched a business and I grew my business and podcasts and all these things so I could have the life I truly want and feel fulfillment every single day instead. So it's just been this completely up-leveling um, that's been so profound in my life. And that's why I love talking about this message so much. It's not really just about this little alcohol piece. It's like a symbolic evolution that like I feel like frees us to really be who we authentically are, go through the challenges and growth opportunities we're meant through and unleash our bigger purpose into the world. Yes to all of this. Um, I know that when I have the conversation with people a lot of people started being a little bit more aware of their relationship with alcohol in 2020. I think because our so many structures were so screwed up, you know, and normally we would go out and drink socially and then people found themselves drinking not socially or me and my friends would have Zooms and drink on the, you know, Zooms together. And part of me at one point was like, what are we doing here? Like, what is this about? And I actually have a friend who is an epidemiologist in Dallas. And during the pandemic, I, I really questioned why like the liquor stores were, I mean, I was going to the liquor stores to buy liquor at that point, but why the liquor stores were still open and then other places weren't, what was that called? The, do you know what, remember what I'm talking about? Like when certain places had to be open, there was a name for it during the pandemic. Essential. The essential. Yeah. The essentials. She was like, do you know why that is? And you can go down like a conspiracy theorist route too, of it being like, oh, well, we just want all of our, our Americans numb to not be thinking out of the box about all of this stuff that's going on. But from a like medical standpoint, she was like, do you know how many people are actually like total alcoholics who would have to go to the hospital if we cut off their supply of liquor, they would be taking up rooms in the hospital that we need for COVID patients. I was like, holy shit. Like that's, and nobody's talking, nobody talked about that. You know, like this is a, this is a big problem. And also in, in your book, you talk about the whole idea of like an alcoholic. And it's interesting because we always think that with an alcoholic, the person is the problem, not the actual, <laughs> you know, thing that we're consuming or whatever. Um, and that's the deal, a, a situation too, that I think we need to take a look at. But one thing 
human, human design wise, I don't know if you know about this, but human design came about in 1987, which is actually the year you were born. I grabbed Carolina's chart before this. There's a lot of big change makers and spiritual leaders that were actually born in 1987. And I think that's, that's for a reason they coincide of, of like stepping us into this new paradigm because the new paradigm that's also a a vocabulary word in, in human design began in 2020 and then the actual shift is happening in 2027. So 2020 came to like really ruffle up a lot of things, get us to like look at life and everyday life and our habits and all of that kind of stuff in a different way. And then slowly over the next seven years, we were going to start unlearning, deconditioning from, um, being more aware of things that were actually running our lives or things that weren't serving us and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's pretty nuts because I, when I took my long break in 2021, I was like the only person that I knew doing that. And nobody gave me a hard time or made fun of me or whatever. I was like, I feel better when I don't drink and all that kind of stuff. And it was, it served me so well. And the only thing the only reason I think I went back to drinking every once in a while was because of my need for freedom and not making rules. And then a year now into experimenting. One thing I also really love about your book is you talk about giving yourself grace as you go through this sober, sober curious journey. And every time that you do drink being like, okay, this is an experiment. Let me see how long I good I feel good for. And then let me see how many days after that that I don't feel so good. Even if you don't have a hangover, there's like a just lack of excitement and joy and pleasure. There's just like a slight, you know, disappointment feeling or despair or even depression feeling. And I love that. And I think that that is what I needed to prolong and make even more powerful my sober curious journey. I have a gal in my mastermind who she's like 55 and she's been sober now for three years or so, but she said it took her a good five years of like playing around and she didn't have a big drinking problem. It was just five years of playing around with it and being sober curious. And so like, that's sort of what, that's where this conversation I think needs to be had right now, because so many people are like, well, I shouldn't just cut it out. I'm not an alcoholic. Go read Carolina's book because you'll have a totally different view of this, first of all. And there's no, like, I love to open up this conversation as like the a one without shame and a one with grace because, and I don't like, we're, I don't like looking at things from victim mentality, but there is like so much subconscious programming that goes into getting us to want to drink, you know? And that's like, that's the thing for me is I'm like, I think if I woke up tomorrow and nobody drank, if, if drinking was like smoking cigarettes, I think I would just never do it again. What's your, what's your take on that as far as the conditioning that we have? I mean, it's huge. And, and, you know, we all can come up with our own personal relevancies and like needs and benefits that we place onto alcohol. They're all pretty similar though. So it's not that unique. 
Um, but no matter what, every single person is dealing with the power of social conditioning and the power of habits or doing something repeatedly over time. So if we think about it, drinking is actually a rite of passage in our society, in our culture. You go from a point of adolescence where you don't drink, you're too young, right? And then when you do start drinking, experimenting, even if it's like wrong at that point, you're too young or something, it's your code of how you become an adult. It's how you belong. It's how you rebel. It's how you show your independence. You saw the adults around you doing it, or you saw it on TV. And now you're doing it to mark that, yes, I'm here. I've arrived. And it also marks your social belonging, your acceptance to be like everyone else. It like alcohol itself, I like to say, it's just a fermented beverage in a glass. It's toxic at that too, but it's just a beverage in a glass. We as a society have attached so much meaning to it. You know, it is now meaning and stands for status and belonging and glamour and sophistication and, you know, fitting in with your friends. Like it symbolizes so much more than it really is. And we don't really do that for any other food group or any other thing like that. Like, if you decided to order, you know, something gluten-free because you're not eating gluten and someone decided to order bread, like no one's going to ask you 21 questions about it. It's just like, I can put whatever I want into my body. It's 2023, except for when it comes to what we drink, right? We all still get those 21 questions. So we have to imagine that whether it was through college, through high school, through our, our work situation, through whatever, we're all in a given time or place where alcohol is the norm, unless you grew up in Saudi Arabia, right? Like it is everywhere and it's going to be socialized into, you know, a, a rite of passage for you, whether it's through socializing, celebrating, commiserating, it's in all of the events. You can't even go to a baby shower these days without alcohol being served, which was really unheard of just a few decades ago. So let's like, look at that. Let's look at how much power that has onto all of us and what kind of beliefs it forms into all of our minds. First of all, we get this belief that all adults drink or at least normal adults right? And if you don't drink, you probably have a problem and who wants to have a problem? So I better drink, right? And if you don't drink, maybe you're boring or you're pious or religious. So that's not good either, right? So like we get groomed with all these kind of messages about how much importance alcohol plays in our lives and our roles. And we continue playing out this ritual every single time we see friends and socialize and it's just the dominant way of hanging out. So if you grew up under a rock, obviously, like, and or, or in a vacuum, like, it's not going to have as much power like that. It's insane how much the social conditioning really does. And especially when someone's reevaluating alcohol, right? It's like, well, yes, my intuition and my value system's telling me this isn't serving me, but what about, what am I going to do here? What am I going to say here? What are they going to think, you know? So it gets just so involved. And, you know, back to your point earlier about like, who has a problem and who doesn't, you know, I really don't like to think in those terms because if alcohol is not aligned with your values, if you're valuing health and connection and presence and mindfulness and alcohol is not allowing you to embody those qualities, which it inherently just doesn't by its biological properties, it's going to feel like a value misalignment. And it's going to feel like you're not living up to your values. If a if it's not essentially making you happier and we're not looking at just the 20 minute buzz that you get, if we're looking at the three or four days afterwards that you're feeling that lowness and that despair, which by the way, is a chemical byproduct of alcohol. Alcohol releases dynorphin in the brain, which actually is something they found in suicide victims really high in the brain because it in induces so much feelings of lowness and shame and all of those messy things, plus all the anxiety you get too. So you can just start to ask yourself these questions when you reevaluate, I think as well. In addition to social conditioning, alcohol isn't something we all just do like once or twice, or even like this many times you can count on a hand. We repeat it 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times. And so we are still talking about an addictive beverage. And like you were saying, it's not the person we should be blaming. Like if you did heroin or cocaine a thousand times, what do you think is going to happen? Right. And so alcohol by just the mere exposure to it is going to root as a neural pathway in your brain. Your brain is going to crave it when you have certain cues and situations. And even just having one drink, will beget you to want to have another drink because of how the neurochemical response happens in your brain. Again, when you're exposed to enough alcohol over time, which we all are just by the default of continuing to be a drinker over time. It doesn't even mean you're necessarily drinking more over time, but usually people sometimes do as well. So there's so much going on here. And that's why I love to just like, like think of those terms, kind of like how you're insinuating, like, what if I was like an alien that came from a planet where alcohol didn't exist. Well, what I think when I came to this planet and saw all these people drinking something that's numbing them and making them feel lower and having more anxiety and they're all doing it to just fit in, I would just, I would just question it so much. I'd be like, what is everyone doing? Why are we drinking this beverage? Especially when you see the power of what happens when you take a break from it and how much better you feel. So a couple things that are sort of woo-woo, but then I'm going to have questions from them. Um, number one, the reason I took my first big break was because I started microdosing psilocybin. And doing that, in doing that, I lost the desire for alcohol. Like it was like my higher self was saying, "Don't you don't need to drink anymore. You don't need to drink anymore. And then I think I got to, I told myself I wasn't going to drink for a year. So that was like my rule. And I'm such a Sagittarius, like freedom person. I'm just like, don't tell me what to do, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go drink again, but not, I, 2022 was like the least I ever drink in my life, which was awesome. And now I think I got another upgrade this year. Um, a couple months ago, my husband and I did a combo ceremony, which is K-A-M-B-O. It's a free trog poison. And you do like three sessions of it. The first session you, so I'm going to do a podcast episode on this later, but it's basically like 20 minutes of feeling incredibly hungover and throwing up, but only 20 minutes. And it's crazy because the only time I've ever been that sick is when I've been hungover and thrown up. But with combo, it doesn't hurt or feel bad because like you're not throwing, you're throwing up water, not like liquor. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it was 20 minutes of really intense, like purging. The first time you do it is physical detox. The second time you do it is mental and emotional detox. And the third time you do it is generational detox. And after the third time, it was like something in me was like, this isn't going to be a part of your life. Like alcohol is just, it's not for very much longer going to be a part of your life. And I think like, I think it was a generational thing, an epigenetic thing. I'm German. I'm like over 50% German. So that's like a huge societal thing in, in the German culture. And there was a lot of like depression and suicide and all of that in, in my family history as well. Have, is there any, I, f I don't remember if your book talks about this, but is there any research? I know that being like out being an alcoholic or it's not a gene thing, but is there epigenetics that we ha might have from our family history of like making you more prone to be drawn to alcohol or to use it as a numbing or coping mechanism. Um, cause I, it was that third time that we did it, that it was like, nope, 
this isn't, doesn't need to be a part of your life anymore? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think when we're looking at alcohol, like specifically, like, yes, there can be some nuanced responses for some people, depending on, you know, how extroverted or introverted they were when they first started drinking or what kind of needs they thought it met for them and stuff. And so there'll be differences and stuff like that. But we also do have to remember that like the biological effects, like what alcohol as a toxin does to your body, what kind of neurochemicals it induces, like what it's doing to your brain and to your body. It's pretty similar kind of human to human. And so like with enough exposure to it, it's going to do the same things to most people, right? It's going to make you feel low afterwards. It's going to create more anxiety in your body. It's going to, you know, kind of create a habit cycle for itself. So all of that is very, very common. And then sometimes when it comes to those unique things and those, you know, generational traumas, you know, obviously we have to remember that alcohol probably doesn't do half the things that we think it does. So like when we think like, oh, alcohol helps me sleep or it relaxes me or it helps me deal with pain. Like it doesn't do most of what we believe. And a lot of my book is helping deconstruct those beliefs so that we lose the desire completely. But what it really does do very inequitably is numb, right? Like alcohol used to be used as an anesthetic in surgeries. It is a number that is literally its job. And so obviously for so many different people, we use it to numb uncomfortable emotions and feelings we don't want to feel, whether it's the micro stuff, like just daily stress. And we're like, Oh, I just need to drink at the end of a long day or if it's bigger stuff, you know? So obviously it gets kind of woven into family histories very easily and and to different, you know, experiences like that. Um, and I will say too, that with like generational stuff, we're modeling as well. So we're inheriting but we're modeling. So like, what are we modeling? What did our parents do? What did our grandparents do? We're seeing all that over time as well. And so like, it's often very common to see people who drink alcohol in one family line down to the other, because it's the culture of their family. That's what they kind of passed down as well. So I do think that's interesting to kind of see like, you know, that kind of nature versus nurture type of a question, you know what I mean? But alcohol is like really involved in most of Western society. So most anyone coming from a Western background is going to have it in that in that kind of a history and in the culture. And uh, if there is anything genetic about it is that there obviously are some Eastern cultures who actually have a much more adverse reaction to just even a very little bit of alcohol they cannot metabolize. So it hasn't always been such a big cultural thing, but you know what, that's changing like China, Japan, they're drinking just as much as like the Western countries too. So it's really interesting to look at that. I have found too, that like when, you know, um, alcohol really fits a need very early on in your life. And by that, I mean, as a teenager or so, like, for example, my story is that I'm introverted I grew up really shy too. So, you know, being shy brought me pain you know, I couldn't express myself or talk and people thought things about me, you know, people even thought not only that I was shy, but that I was like a bitch. Cause I maybe seemed more closed off or something like that. And so when I started drinking, it was like, Oh, I can finally dissociate from all those things here. Now I'm a brand new person. Now I'm this extroverted, bubbly, lovable person, you know, where I literally found myself worth coming from using a beverage. It didn't work though. I mean, one, I never developed that confidence and social ease within myself, right? I'm using a tool outside of me. But another thing too, is every single time I grab that tool, I'm telling my subconscious, Carolina, you're not good enough. Nobody wants to talk to you. You have nothing interesting to say, but here, have this drink and you'll be better at all those things. So it really deteriorated my confidence over time. And so we can see a lot of those experiences happening in like adolescence that really lock alcohol as this huge booster of self-worth, 
makes you not have to feel your feelings, you know, just kind of go into la la land. And you can see why it gets so ingrained so easily into most of our lives as something that we use as a tool. And I did want to point out, Allison, real quick, because I know you have the freedom Sagittarius in you. Um, oftentimes when you stop drinking, you start doing everything pretty well, right? So like you're working out, you're waking up, like nothing's really like stopping you, preventing you from like pretty much having a routine down. And so there's that kind of rebellion that comes in like, oh God, we got to just shake all this up. Like, you know, I need a little bit more variety, more adventure, that wildness, that freedom. And that often comes up for my clients as well. And so like that is just important to recognize that we need that freedom. We need that wildness, that rebellious and stuff like that. And so when I'm feeling those needs, like now I don't think of alcohol. I think of alcohol as the most conforming thing I could possibly do. And I go outside and be like, what do I need right now? Where does my inner wild woman need to come out? Do I need to do like a like a naked dip into a pool? Do I need to go on a waterfall hike and go into a cold water plunge? Do I need to just get off work early and go to the matinee. That feels kind of crazy today too, you know? So there's all these really cool ways that like I can meet that need for wildness, you know, which is just so interesting when we're seeing like, what are we using alcohol for? What is it trying? What is the need we're trying to meet through it? And I think you mentioned that your mentor has this saying that I drink as much as I want and I just never want to drink, you know? So it's like, that reframing that that's your rule. I drink as much as I want and my body doesn't want it. And so I think that's, that's my goal for myself. Currently, my goal is to obviously very much notice this, enjoy when I don't drink and try to have as much joy and pleasure and freedom in my life by not drinking, like in the times that I don't drink. And then when I notice it, be like, man, this is actually not freedom because then it like 20 minutes of quote unquote bliss euphoria then comes with three days of being in jail, not true jail, but like in jail to your blah emotions, you know, like not feeling so great. Um, Okay. I think the last thing that I wanted to sort of chat with you about is when somebody is aware of their drinking and they're sober curious and they get into the whole mode of like, okay, think like thinking about and creating these times of when I'm drinking and having a little experiment with how it makes me feel right then. And then the next three days, blah, blah, blah. If it takes up this much energy to think about it and to plan all of this out, should I even be doing it in the first place. Cause it's like robbing me of these decisions. We, we're, we exhaust ourselves with decisions. Like I wear white. I only wear white every day because then I don't have to make a decision. And then I don't have to make a decision when I go to the store about like buying something that's cute in another color. I'm like, where's the white section? That's what I'm wearing. So I try to like lower the amount of decisions that I have to make that aren't like creative outlet decisions. And that's like one thing because I waste so much time when I do decide to drink. It's like, well, I'm not going to drink tonight because of this, or I am going to drink, or I'm only going to have two or whatever. If somebody's in that sober, curious place, but they're like wrestling with that and it just feels like mind fucks all the time, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. Oh gosh. I was there for at least five to seven years. And I have to say, I used to have this spreadsheet. 
So I would like, I was pretty health conscious, right? So I was trying to track like, oh my, how many fruits or vegetables do I eat? Did I work out yesterday? Whatever. I mean, I just like to do that kind of stuff. I wasn't that anal, but I just do it. I would do it for how many drinks I would have. And um, I would be so proud of myself when I could put a zero or a one in the little spreadsheet. And then I would go to a party and I had a zillion and I didn't even want to try to count the number. And I was so embarrassed and the spreadsheet was ruined that week, you know? (laughs) So like, this is how much time I put into this. And it was so much mental energy. And I call this mental gymnastics in my book because it's always on your mind. You're not thinking about like, I need my alcohol, right? It's like, should I drink tonight? Should I not? Okay. Well, I have that presentation tomorrow morning. Okay. But your friends invited you out. Just have one. Okay. But they're going to have more than one. Like it's so much brain space, you know? And I like to joke, like imagine if someone like Einstein was using all his precious mental energy and genius ruminating about a beverage. It's a beverage at the end of the day, right? That's literally what we're talking about. Would we even have the theory of relativity today? And so like, I like to joke that I probably could have written three books in the time that I was doing my spreadsheet and moderating for five years because I was in that stage for five years trying to just drink less and make the rules up and follow this, follow that, you know? And so one of the incredible benefits that I got from just going alcohol free is like the chatter is all gone. There's just pure freedom, you know? And especially even if you just decide to take a break, you don't decide to quit forever. But if you make the break a container, you know, like I'm not going to drink for 30 days, 60 days, whatever you decide you have, you made the decision once and that's it. You're not deciding again every single day for 60 days, the decision's been made. And then you just tell yourself, Hey, if I want to drink again, I'll drink again on 60 day, one day, 61. You know what I mean? We've just made this decision. So that chatter went away. That freedom was so expansive. And honestly, now my mental energy, my genius could focus on the things I really wanted to do in this earth. And I didn't know those things before. Like I worked in a cubicle before I was not unhappy, but I was living a mediocre life, not very satisfied. And I was super jealous of people who were, I wanted to be an author. I wanted to travel. I wanted to have my own freedom and business and stuff like that. But I had no belief in myself that I could. And it was when I ditched alcohol, this thing I never thought I could ditch. And if I did ditch it, I thought I'd have to be this soapy, sad person who wears a label, right? So when I did it happily, I was like, what? I never thought I could do this. Like, what other stories was I telling myself of other things I couldn't do, you know? And that's what toppled almost all of the limiting beliefs that were keeping me stuck at that point. And I went after all the dreams I really had. And I used that heightened creativity now that was probably there latent, but just completely ramped up by 10 the inspiration I got. And what's really incredible is the gift of intuition. I think our intuition is always guiding us. And I think that what's happening, especially now in this era, Allison, is that it's the more intuitive woman who's starting to reevaluate alcohol, right? It's not a indictment anymore of how much you drink or how much of a problem it is in your life. It's the more intuitive woman is starting to question it, right? And when we start to get those messages from our intuition that it might not be aligned with our values anymore, it might not be aligned with the person we're becoming. That's the thing is alcohol doesn't have to be totally vilified whatsoever. Maybe it did serve a purpose, right? At a given time and place, but is it still serving that purpose and who you want to be? Isn't who you want to be so empowered, so emboldened that she wouldn't need any of that, you know? And so again, we can, again, let go of things that don't longer serve us and grow into the person that we want to be. And in doing so, you know, that intuition is just like, oh yes, we're on the same page. I'm going to be giving you so many more messages now we're on fire together. And that's allowed me to create everything I've created. Like my book came to me in a download, basically almost 
like five years ago, almost to the date, maybe a little less, maybe a little more like just one day. Right. Like I had, I never thought of it before. And all of a sudden the universe was just like, you're meant to write this book. Here are all the chapters. None of that happened to me as a drinker, you know? So I think there's just something to be said about that mental energy that we're spending on a beverage, uh, that could be used to fulfill your greater potential and purpose out into the world, fuel your creativity, unleash your genius into the world and really be someone who embarks on these bigger life goals. You know, I kind of look at people who don't drink and I have so much awe and inspiration for them. You know, Tony Robbins doesn't drink. Gabby Bernstein doesn't drink. Renee Brown doesn't drink. Deepak Chopra doesn't drink. And it's like, in my mind, I form this belief system. It doesn't have to be your or anyone else's belief system, but I form this belief system that the movers and shakers of this world do not have time for alcohol. And that is what made it now this new status symbol for me, instead of feeling like I'm not the cool kid or I'm not fun enough or hip enough to be drinking. I've switched it around. I'm like, dude, I've got way too much cool stuff to do in this lifetime. I don't have time for alcohol. So those types of people, I call them expanders, like the role models for the people of life you want to have. Do you have a long list of people? Because I just found out that JLo doesn't drink. Bradley Cooper doesn't drink. Bradley Cooper got Brad Pitt to stop drinking. I have a friend who's a photographer who pretty much only does liquor photography. She was like every single CEO and owner of any liquor company doesn't drink. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. And especially too, because a lot of people aren't necessarily leading with that or talking about it. But yeah, when you lean about the stories, the more and more I learn from like really successful seven figure business owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs, you know, they don't drink the last two presidents, no matter where you fall on the political line, they became presidents because they don't drink. You know what I mean? It's just not part of their consciousness. Um, there's so many, so many examples. Drew Barrymore doesn't drink and Hathaway doesn't drink like, and they're just, they're adding more and more to it too, as like more people are having their sober curious kind of awakenings as well. So like I often, you know, when someone's dealing with a situation where they feel a little embarrassed or just not sure what to say, like when they go, go somewhere and not drink, embody that role model. Like what would JLo say if she was offered a drink? What would Tony Robbins say? Would Tony Robbins let anyone make him feel bad that he's not drinking? Oh my God. He would laugh hard at that. Yeah. I love it. You need to make that master list and have it be like a freebie or something. I'll grab it. Thank you so much, Carolina, for coming on. I know that everybody is going to want to connect with you. I'm going to put your Instagram handle in our show notes. I'm going to put the link to your book, Euphoric, in the show notes. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience on how to connect with you? Anything you've got coming up this summer, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Amazing. Well, it's been such a pleasure to be on your show. I just, again, want to leave the message that just having the, the curiosity, the reevaluation, the experimentation to just shift your relationship with alcohol, whatever that looks like for you over time, really, I believe is reserved for the most intuitive, the most bravest, the most wisest women on the planet. And we are meant to change the world. And so that just is a really incredible good news for you. You know, if you've been thinking about this and, and just making some changes um, and it can often feel lonely though, because like we are, like you said, the expanders or the forward thinkers of our generation. I think alcohol will go the way the cigarettes went, you know, and that in a few decades, like we will really understand the health risks and that I'll probably obviously still be around, but it won't be this cultural expectation that everyone has to drink. And if you look at smoking today, it's kind of on the fringe, right? Like it's not the mainstream anymore whatsoever. So I definitely see that future. And even if we think about just how technology works, like 
we'll, we'll invent something new and better that isn't so toxic to the body, right? Like I cannot see our society drinking in a hundred years, not this like crude chemical, right? That does so much damage. Back to your point, you're not alone. So like, if you just, you want more support, you want more friends, you want more networking, you want more sisters who are going on this journey. Um, you know, I do host programs. I do host retreats also like in Bali and Puerto Vallarta, Costa Rica. So if you're hungry for more of that connection too, be sure to reach out. I'm at euphoricaf.com and you can find a lot of that good stuff there too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so very much for tuning in to another episode of You Do Woo. I know that you already have a very full life and that there are literally millions of podcasts that you could be listening to. So I'm super grateful to you for being a loyal listener. And I'm so grateful for you sharing your favorite episodes with friends and family members. That is how we are able to serve more people and raise the collective consciousness and really get the word out on a bunch of these fun spiritual topics that we're talking about. I would love to connect with you. Send me a DM on Instagram at you do woo, all one word. I'd love to hear how you loved today's episode and just a little bit about you. I can't wait to connect. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.